Hey, this is Tyler Powell, and you are now listening to Left Coast Pirates. Morton will try to go all the way. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is March 20th, 2022. And Mike, we should have known better from the start. You know, Last week when it was announced the Pirates were coming out to San Diego for the first round of the NCAA tournament, we were ecstatic. We were excited. We had we had new life in ourselves. We talked about this. We said, you know what? The shine on the season is different all of a sudden. They're coming here. They made the tournament, and we were really excited. And the week started off so well, man. We had folks contacting us to see if we needed to get those special pirate blue seats special thanks to joanne and byron denton and dennis and kathy flynn of thinking of us oh my goodness we got those seats settled down we were ready for some action and we should have known better mike i don't know where to begin man i, I don't I, I gotta get our emotions up for this episode to the best of my ability it just felt like this was a culmination of just another season of highs and lows like we normally go through that that pirate roller coaster we're always talking about and this time it was just the same story for the 2021 2022 campaign so why should i have expected it to be different on this particular week I totally went through the emotional swings that you're describing. I mean, it all starts with us being seated in San Diego last week. Like, How lucky are we, at least from our personal perspective, you and I, that we were able to have them come into our backyard. So we're, we're on cloud nine and we're thinking, it, you know, it, it can't get uh, worse than this. And then, you know, we're crossing our fingers, hoping we're going to get tickets. And then, like you mentioned, the people stepped up and came through. We got that news on Tuesday. We're going. I'm like, I'm downloading my email, refreshing it. When are the tickets coming? When are the tickets coming? Yes, we got them. I mean, it was, it was emotional. And then we're making plans throughout the week. You know, where are we going to go to the alumni meet and greet? Where should we meet up? Who else is coming in? What kind of dinner plans do we have to make? And then out of nowhere to start off the tournament, Shaw and St. Peter's knocks off Kentucky. I'm looking at my phone while we're at Little League and I'm, I'm showing it to everybody. Is this happening? Is this really going down? That's my guy. That, that's my guy from Seton Hall. He's coaching St. Peter's. It was, it was great. And then you have the anticipation leading up to that last game on Friday. Couldn't get any work done. It was, there was nothing getting done on Friday. No, it was a waste of a day. And, and then you just have this crashing down to reality as we experienced that bloodbath that took up place on the court. 
And you're thinking it couldn't have gotten any worse. And then you have Kevin Willard's postgame. And then we're back up on the high again. You're cheering about Shaw and St. Peter's going to the Sweet 16. And you have all this speculation for what's upcoming next week. Is it good? Is it bad? Should we be happy? Should we be sad? I don't know. Welcome, folks, to being a Seton Hall Pirate fan. Try walking a mile in our shoes just so that you know those shoes are hiking boots because the ups and downs are real. Come on, Tom. I, I don't even know where we go with this episode. Well, you know, there, there's no point in belaboring these points. We might as well just jump right in. Texas Christian University 67, Seton Hall 42. The game was what we expected early on as both teams dug in defensively. Jameer Harris hit a three-pointer with nine and a half minutes to go in the first half, and the Pirates trailed it 12-11. to 11. Then the Horned Frogs found their stride and went on a 10-0 run to take a double-digit lead, and they didn't look back. The Hall trailed by nine at the half, but Texas Christian came out locked in and hit the Pirates with a 15-4 run, and the lead ballooned to 20. After that, the final score was academic as Seton Hall only got the lead back under 21 time in route to a season-low output of only 42 points. Yeah, it's just, that was tough to listen to again. I know I was there, man, but that was, that was tough to take in a second time just in your recap format alone. All right, uh, stats on this one. Miles Kale and Jameer Harris, 11 points each, the only Pirates to reach double figures on the night but they combined to shoot seven of 26. Ike Obiagu led the team with five rebounds and two blocks. And Kadari Richmond led the team with four assists, but conversely also led them with six turnovers. Tom, the opponents, we knew who was going to hit us. It was their backcourt. Mike Miller Jr., 21 points, nine for 18. And Damian Ball, 14 points, five rebounds, six assists. We knew the scouting report and we couldn't stop their their vaunted backcourt or their, their best playmakers. Team stats, the field goal shooting, oh, it was just night and day. TCU, 50.9% from the floor. Seton Hall, 28.8%, 15 of 52. Behind the line, TCU, 40%, a very efficient 4 of 10. Seton Hall jacked up 21 attempts, only making 6, en route to 28.6%. And then where we needed to kind of keep things even, which was on the glass, TCU was plus 13. And it wasn't on the offensive side either. It was just so many shots missed by us. They were able to kind of, you know, pick up positive stats in this category. Turning point for me in this one, Jared Roden's offensive foul with 315 to play in the first half. That was his third foul. I think it completely took him out of the game. You saw the, the team kind of dejected knowing that their best player or their, their leading scorer was now going to be in serious foul trouble the rest of the way. But there were moments with even his second foul and his fourth foul, you just saw the emotional toll that it took on the team. He fouled a three-point shooter for TCU for his second foul midway through the first half, and you were just like, oh, you know, bad basketball IQ type play, but you can't pick up your second foul there. Has to come out of the game. And then even early in the second half, you, you know, a minute and a half into the to the game, a minute and a half into that second half, he's raking down into the post, picking up his fourth. You know, at that point, the game was still pretty close, you know, just over a 10-point margin. 
you feel like you got a chance to get back, back in it. Every time that Jared had a foul issue or a foul moment in this game, it just felt like it sucked the life out of the Pirates. They needed something to get a boost to get back in the game. And knowing that Roden was probably not going to be a contributor because of this foul trouble throughout, that did not help. So to me, I couldn't find anything else other than they kicked our butt. So that's where I'm going with in terms of the turning point. Well, there's not a whole lot we could say positive about this game itself, Michael. I mean, 11 minutes in, we had scored 11 points. That's not good defense. That's bad offense. Come on. So I think we should look at this in a different light. You know, it really was still a positive experience overall. But I think the positivity comes from having the Seton Hall community in San Diego more than anything else. Anyway, you got now one on-the-court positive performance that you want to share today? I wanted to interrupt you doing your stats moment because you were talking about Jameer Harris and Miles Kale scoring 11 points respectively. You know, Miles Kale was 4 of 15 from the floor, but 3 of 6 from three-point land. How does that make any sense for the game? A lot of mid-range. He had a lot of mid-range attempts that were contested. He had to. They were chasing him off the three-point line. And we'll we'll get to that in Sour Grapes and Gripes. It it was brutal, but let's talk positive. Let's talk blue-tinted glasses. I had a ball at the pregame reception. I loved all the guys I was sitting with during the game. I loved the feel while we felt like we were still in it. So let's review the positive things here, Mike. And this is in no specific order, just kind of as it comes off the top of my head. Not only was it a reception for fans, but they had a whole lot of administration at the reception just hanging around talking to people. We ran into our old fraternity brother and head of alumni fundraising, Giannis Papersanis. Brian Felt and family was walking around. And lo and behold, who shows up but President Nyer himself. And Giannis brought him over to us and introduces us. And he says, oh, uh, President Nyer, this is Tom. He's from the Left Coast Pirates. And President Nyer looks over and goes, oh, yeah, I've heard you guys. And I look at him straight ahead and I said, no, you haven't. And we all, we shared a big laugh out of it. You know, he was, he was sincerely a nice guy, but we had a good moment there. He hasn't heard us. He may have heard of us. That's There's not the what he right? said at first, Michael. He might've misspoke, but it led to a fun time with between the two of us. No, it was a good conversation. I mean, also at the pregame festivities, I'm chatting hoops with CJ Nobile from the front office. He's telling me that he's going on 24 hours without sleep. And then he was so pumped up to be there. And he definitely looked like he was going on not having sleep for 24 hours. It's a long flight out there for most Pirate fans to, to be there and be in the moment. That was the first thing I said to CJ. I go, oh, dude, you look banged up, pal. <laughs> I get, but it was, like you said, it was a good experience. I mean, you had uh, men's basketball on there. Got a chance to run into Jerry Walker. Everyone's taking their picture with Jerry and shaking his hand. But uh, I get a chance to kind of run into Jerry as we're waiting online for the pizza. So I'm on rival sitting there going, oh, I can't believe they booked the place at OG's, right? Because that is not good California pizza. Or it doesn't hold a candle to anything back from the East Coast. And everyone's like, really? Are we going to be complaining about the pregame pizza potential? And I'm like, I'm just saying it's not good pizza. So here I am, you know, side by side with Jerry in the pizza line. And what's he doing? He's like, what is this? 
what is this crap? <laughs> I'm sitting there going, Jer- Jer- Jerry, it's, it's California pizza, man. I, you know, it doesn't hold a candle to New York, New Jersey. They just, they make it very doughy out here. He's like, I ain't gonna eat that. I ain't eating that. <laughs> I think he grabbed one slice and he took a salad on the side, but it was just, it was, it was just funny. Would have uh, killed somebody to get a taco truck into the reception area, Mike. You could have had a taco vendor there. He could have been slapping th- things together. It would have been fantastic. It would have been very San Diego appropriate. It would have been great. I'm, I'm just saying this is a family-oriented show, as we like to joke. I gave you the clean version of Jerry's dialogue about the pizza. Let, let's just leave it at that, all right? You know who else was uh, who happened to be at the game was Pookie Wigginton. And he he actually sat close to you, didn't he, Mike? Sit close to me. He sat the seat directly in front of me. In between timeouts, I you know politely tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, "Mr. Wigginton, I'd like to introduce you to my son." So he turns Mr. around. I'm like, "Wigginton, look at you." I mean, he's older than me, you know. I mean, Pookie, excuse me, Pookie. I've never met the guy before. Pookie, no, Mr. Wigginton. I go, Pookie, nice to meet you, right? I, I introduce him to Josh. You sit next to me, and I, you know, I explained to him that he played on the 1989 team that went to the national title game. And Pookie's like, and I did it in a pint-sized body just like yours. Oh, that's so it was nice. inspirational. I mean, but 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 that, that you have to put that in the context. My son Josh is like barely four feet tall and weighs 50 pounds soaking wet. So I, I find it funny that you gave Pookie respect by calling him Mr. Well, most of the times when we have coaches on, you have a hard time even calling him coach that. Yeah. Some respect coming out of your mouth. I, I think I, I think I called Fanted like Johnny the first time we had him on. Right. <laughs> well, you know, I got a chance to talk to Pookie at the end of the game. You know, I walked down there and introduced myself, you know, put my best salesman hat on and say, Pookie, when are you going to come on the podcast, pal? When are you coming on? And we had a good laugh. But uh, definitely at the end of the game, I was in no mood to pull the camera out and grab a selfie with him, which is, you know, to, I, I feel bad about it now because I should have gotten that picture. I was about to say, can you let these people enjoy the moment? You got, you got to be plugging the podcast it in that moment. It was after the game. What moment was there to enjoy? It, there wasn't. You got to let people like wallow in the defeat at that point. Uh, I mean, no, no, no Irish wake here, Michael. It wasn't that what Brian Felt had to go through. I think he was kind of like making sure everybody went home oh, and not, my, not basically. Bri- oh, Brian man. Felt looked like someone died. All right. But besides the experience of running into other people, to me, it's about sharing these kind of moments with your family. So I want to kind of share some family moments like we do throughout the the monologues in this podcast. I know you have a couple that you want to share. I'm going to go first. So there's uh, the the inter timeout kind of games that they do on the, the the Teletrons, do your best dance moves. So there was one segment where they were like, show me your big, biggest flexing. And they got a couple of like college meatheads that are just kind of like tank <laughs> tops on. And their arms are probably like the size of my legs, right? Well, they still had kids from Arizona at the game. So yeah, you know oh, they were sauced up. There. And they were sauced up. Let me, let me just say, but so they're having a good time. And then they cut from those two kids to Josh and Josh's arms are like toothpicks. I mean, a toothpick might've actually been a thicker arm. And there's Josh rolling up his sleeves, pumping the iron on the big screen. He's getting a big cheer. And like you said, that, that was cool to kind of see your set up on the big screen next to you. you, you, know, you know, enjoying the moment. The, he might've had the small arms, Mike, but he made up with the desire. I mean, he looked <laughs> like he really wanted to be up there. So good for him. But this is, this is into the second half when we're getting our butts kicked and he's still trying to enjoy the moment. And then your daughter is also waving Seton Hall's flag deep into a 20 point blowout in the second half. These kids don't know better. They're at a great atmosphere NCAA tournament game. Their pirates are on the court and they're just having fun with it. So I mean, that, that was really, really cool. Um, but speaking of Josh, and then this one, I'm a little bit embarrassed for, right? We take an Uber over 
You know, San Diego weather, 75 and gorgeous during the day. But when that sun goes down, it quickly turns on you. You need a little bit of a sweatshirt if you're kind of from local, you know, you're the locals here. Your blood thins out. You get cold real fast. So my wife tells my son, hey, this is going to be a game that ends late at night. Bring a sweatshirt. So Josh wears his sweatshirt in the Uber that we took over to the arena. And then as we're getting out of the Uber, still four o'clock in the afternoon, the sun is shining. She's like, hey, take that off so you're not hot. Let's take some pictures before we head in. And he takes off his sweatshirt. And oh, no, he's got a Villanova T-shirt on, Tom. What is he doing? I blame I the parents. I blame the parents. Alina and my wife were all decked out in seat and hall gear. So I don't know. I blame the parents. I mean, I looked down at him and like I said to him, I go, what are you doing? What are you doing? And my wife had to like pull me back and be like, don't, don't yell at your son. I'm like, of all the T-shirts you could have picked. Really? I go, Josh, really? He goes, Dad, I just I, I just needed a T-shirt. I'm like, come on, man. So we go into we go into the alumni function. And the first person that I connect eyes with as I walk in, as you mentioned, Brian felt with his family. Brian comes over, not a handshake and embrace. We've only interviewed the guy a couple of times over over Zoom, right, for the podcast. And there we are. We're giving each other a hug. That's kind of like the whole Seton Hall family. Here's my family. Here's your family. And I got to look at Brian and go, I apologize. He goes, what are you apologizing for? Brian, meet my son, Josh, with this Villanova shirt on right in front and felt like, oh, man. Oh, man. He's like, we got we got to fix that. We got to fix that. I go, my wife's from South Jersey. I don't know what you want me to do, man. I don't know what you want me to do. You know, speaking of family moments, there were a lot of other families uh, that were having a good time. Tyler Powell, when he was checking in uh, in the second half, he had an entire row of family out there, and I got to meet his uncle Tory earlier in the game, and they were just going nuts. And it's it's those little things that if you look around, the the stuff that happens within the game. That it, it, it's, it's heartwarming. They were so excited that he was going in in an NCAA tournament game in California that it was nice to see, you know. And and outside of that, just all the Seton Hall fans that traveled far and wide that we got to meet. You know, obviously there's a ton of folks that came down from the Northeast, but there were people we met from Florida. There were people we met from all over, you know, Ben from Houston. Uh, we met Dr. Charles Farmer, who teaches at CCNB. Well, what is CCNB, Tom? You know, the Community College of New Brunswick, Michael. You know what it is. Jeez. Oh, oh, hey, look, uh, I, I was going to let Tom get a pass here, folk. But 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 now that he's sitting there throwing shout outs to everybody, Tom was in his glory. I'm oh, sitting absolutely. there. I'm sitting there laying in the weeds, shaking hands, saying hi to people, having conversation. I'm not advertising who I am. I don't know if Tom was advertising. No, I'm like, why? No, I was like, why? Because of, of Left Coast Pirates? It was really cool to have some people come up to us, uh, hear our voice and go, I recognize that voice. Are you the Left Coast Pirates? And we're like, yes, we are. And then just to get the appreciation for what we do, I was flattered. I didn't really know what to say other than just thank you over and over again. Uh, and just kind of interact with the fans that really appreciate what we do here on the show. Like I, like I said, we're not doing this for the glory. I'm not doing it for the recognition. But that was kind of cool to see people that we had never met before be there on site. I think one gentleman goes to you just west of the workplace gate. I say this is pretty just west of the workplace gate, wouldn't you say? <laughs> no, just those, those little nuances of the experience where you're kind of bonding with the Seton Hall family and community. That put a smile on my face. We walked into the arena on cloud nine. 
and it just got torn down in a heartbeat. So I hate to do it. But, I'm no, really no, appreciative no, of the experience. Know, it, it was, you know, it was the fact that we were surrounded by the Seton Hall family. You know, I had the seats I had. I know you said you had Pookie right next to you. I had CJ right behind me. I had a bunch of people from all around. It was just a whole lot of fun to be able to, you know, the few bright spots, you know, you were able to put your hands up. Someone's giving you a high five. You know, we, we screamed defense. We screamed, let's go pirates. It was a lot of fun. My voice is still hoarse from the experience. It's a whole lot better, Mike, than just showing up at an away game with nobody there. Oh, I get it. I get it. But I, but I, like I said, I, we got to do it. I'm walking up the stairs to head out and I make eye contact with TJ again. And he's just staring out to the court and he goes to me. He goes, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. <laughs> I mean, look, I, we have to do sour grapes and grapes. We're not going to belabor it. We're not going to crush it. It was. It's not something I want to remember in the annals of Seton Hall history. But Tom, they put up a season low 42 points in the biggest spot of the year. And they just did. I mean, yeah, what, what know, did you we, expect going into this game after should. what we saw in the Big East tournament versus Georgetown and UConn? Did we expect them to turn the corner and figure some things out? Because because they didn't. Well, we knew it was going to be a rock fight just based on the scouting report we got of TCU. I mean, Jamie Dixon was get has a really good defensive team. Now, offensively, they're somewhat challenged, Mike. We made them look better than they really are. But this was a game... I would say of equally skilled teams, we should have had this. This should have been a close game down the wire. No, that's just not fair, though. I got to tip my cap here to Jamie Dixon. He had a scouted. I mean, for those younger fans out there, Jamie Dixon had a perennial top 25, top 10 best team in the Big East in Pittsburgh for a little stretch there before he left to go back to coach's alma mater. You said the word Pittsburgh, and it was synonymous with Jamie Dixon and lockdown defense. They were going to beat you 60 to 50 on a given night. And that's the way TCU plays basketball. So I didn't know a lot about their team, but you look at their box scores and you were like, okay, okay. This is like a Jamie Dixon coach team. And they came out and I thought they hit us with a carbon copy of the UConn game. They hedged out on Kadari on the pick and roll, essentially letting Ike roll to the basket uncontested. I'm like, he's open. He's open for a dunk. But they had length. Kadari couldn't see over the trap. And they had no intention to even respect the possibility of them throwing the ball to Ike at the rim. They just weren't. When Kadari decided to go into the post, which was a strategy that we're like, look, let's try to create that double team to our advantage like we've done in the Xavier game. What did they do? They switched a larger defender over to Kadari and took that away from him. You know, when Harris tried to run off the three-point line, where Harris tried to catch a ball in a three-point threat position, they ran him off the line over and over again all night long. And they out-physically played us on the court. They pushed our offense five feet behind the three-point line. And I watched Creighton play against UConn later in the Big East tournament, and UConn tried to do the same thing to them to take them out of their game with their guard play. And what did they do? They dumped the ball down to Ryan Kalkbrenner in the center, and they forced the defense to have to collapse. That soft spot in the middle when you overextend. We couldn't do that against UConn, and we had no answer in the middle of the defense against TCU. It just it wasn't there. We, we were outcoached. We were scouted, and they executed the game plan 
a heck of a lot better than we did. I Come on. You want a blue tinted glasses comment here? The defensive intensity by Seton Hall in the beginning of that game, that was there. Oh, it was there. Oh, absolutely. And I thought Kadari was going to have kind of a special game. He was playing those passing lanes like he normally does. He was slapping away passes, stealing it, pushing it. For a while, I'm like, okay, we, we've, we're matching their intensity, but it just got away from us. You were talking about that soft middle when they're trying to extend that defense. But the problem was none of our bigs were doing anything to help this out. Obiagu, Yetna, Samuel, Jackson, non-existent again. Total stats for all these guys, 11 points, 11 rebounds on 4 of 14 shooting, Mike, and 6 turnovers. You expected these guys to kind of step up after a poor performance in the Big East tournament. You expect expected this to be a point of emphasis in the practices leading up to this game and nothing you got nothing i look i thought it was gonna be a dog fight i thought it was gonna be a rock fight i thought it was gonna be a you know grab offensive rebounds in the paint and just kind of throw things back up on the glass and get a lot of dirty baskets for both teams did our guys ever threaten the rim did any of those guys threaten the rim no not the bigs I don't think so. And at one point when TCU went on that initial 10-0 run, Willard went through his normal substitution patterns. He took Ike off the floor, took Jackson off the floor, who wasn't shooting well again from the start, and he went with Tyrese and Yetna, which is his normal pattern. No, no issue with that. But and I'm not trying to pick on Tyrese, but Tyrese got bullied underneath for a couple of putbacks, whether it was guys posting them and then guards cutting. But Ike was shutting that down initially. And when Tyrese came in, they got that 10-0 run, and they never looked back. And they got bullied inside from there on out. I, I got no you, issue with our guard play. Say, you could say that uh, basically against all of these guys. Yeah, no, no, without a doubt, without a doubt. But it, it, it started at that first substitutional change about midway through. You just saw that there was a different uh, confidence for TCU going into the paint when Obiagu was not in there. And maybe this is one of those games where Willard needed to kind of keep that big man uh, presence, that that unfamiliarity of a 7-2 guy on the floor and keep him out there for extended minutes. And he just went with his standard like 50-50 time split and it didn't work. I mean, a lot of things didn't work, but you needed to bang with these guys and our big guys played soft for essentially the third straight game. Well, unfortunately, you get no production or productivity from these four. You're hoping that your best player steps up and delivers the game of his life. And Mike, I'm going to say this. Jared Roden potentially had the worst game of his career on the biggest stage here, Mike. He went two for seven shooting for four points in only 18 minutes some horrendous foul calls. And I know that folks in the crowd were complaining about some of the offensive fouls and such. You know what, man? It's just not smart basketball what he does at times. They're such easy calls. His offensive charges are so easy to predict. And he did more complaining in this game than he did anything else. 
So I'll, I'll combat that with a couple of things. I did not go back and compare it to other games throughout his career. It was clearly his worst game of this year and being the perceived best player on the team. To me, that's why it stands out in such magnitude. You needed him in the biggest moment of the season. And he probably had his worst statistical output in terms of productivity and impact on the court. So if you want to make it his worst of his career, fine. I can't validate that, but for the season, Absolutely. His fouls were low basketball IQ. We talked about it in the turning point section. He clearly fouled the three-point shooter. I thought it was an offensive foul with three minutes to go in the first half. And if you know you need to be on the court for extended periods in the second half to make the comeback, why are you reaching in to try to double into the low post, putting yourself in a position for the ref to make that fateful call to put you with four fouls because forget about the fifth foul. I do not think that he had an offensive foul on the fifth one and not at all. But at that point it was kind of almost academic. As I said earlier, 21 point margin when he gets called for that charge, it was the fact that he got the second, the third and the fourth in poor timing and poor basketball IQ. And you expect better from the guy who needs to be your alpha, but doesn't your alpha in a Kevin Woods system also need to be able to dominate the ball and drive and expose his defender. Could Jared beat anybody off the dribble in this game? No, he wasn't getting anything. And still front rimming all those shots, Mike. He's been front rimming shots for the past two weeks. I mean, I just, I, we're going to probably talk about this more when we do our recap episode in a couple weeks. But the reality is, Jared wanted to be the alpha all year. And on that particular night, we desperately needed him to be that alpha. And unfortunately, that was nowhere to be found. And there was no way that you were going to play that type of game against that type of defensive team. And if Jared's giving you four points, you're not winning that game. It's just That's just the reality of it. You're not overcoming uh, that, that shortfall of offensive production. You, you but, know, it sounds like we're picking on the kids here too much. They had bad games. Let, let's just put it out there. But at this point in the season, you were expecting them to step up a little bit. But who didn't step up? Well, I'll tell you who didn't step up. Maybe the chiropractor's office was closed, Mike, because there certainly hasn't been any adjustments for the last two weeks. We've watched six straight halves of basketball going back to the opening game against Georgetown in the Big East tournament, and we've gotten 57, 52, and 42 points in those games on the same strategy. Keep ISOing, and it didn't work, Mike. I don't even give us credit for the 52 against UConn. We said it. Jared hit a three. Jameer hit a three, you know, with a, un, under a minute to play. He really scored 46 against UConn. Think about those numbers. 57, 52, and 42 in three consecutive games. Here, here's my issue. Going into the second half, coming out of the break, it's only a nine-point game. I mean, the, the people around me are sitting there going, I can't believe we're only down nine. As bad as that was, I'll take it that we're only down nine and you got a carbon copy. You got an exact replica of what they did in the first half from an offensive perspective. They did nothing to change the aggressive ball pressure that TCU was throwing at them. And then they got hit with a couple uh, quick baskets and that lead went from nine to 15 in a heartbeat. And then you looked up and it was 20 and the entire team was down and dejected. And when Willard called timeout and everybody walked back to the huddle, Willard had his head down. The The whole demeanor of the team, we got a lot of basketball to play in an NCAA tournament game, and the whole demeanor of the team was, this is over. I know you kind of 
hone more into Seton Hall basketball. Did you watch Baylor come back down from 25 and send the game into overtime against North Carolina? Did you? No, I mean, I mean we, we had sports yesterday, Mike. We had basketball. We had softball. I wasn't watching any early NCAA games. I got to see the St. Pete's against uh, Murray State, but that's all I saw yesterday. But, but that's my point. Down 25, midway into the second half, and they rally back to send the game to overtime. Probably should have even won it. I mean, I know Seton Hall is not Baylor, but your your season's on the line. Those are the final minutes of some of these kids' careers. And when that timeout was called, they walked off as if it was over. And their coach did nothing to change the demeanor of how the game was played from there on out. We usually give uh, Coach Willett a whole lot of grief when he doesn't call timeouts in a timely manner. You know, he's letting runs go. He's letting them go 7, 8, 11, 13, and then finally he calls a timeout. He called that timeout four minutes into the second half, and I was screaming, what are you going to tell him that you didn't tell him at halftime? What are you even you Stop it. Let him play. Who cares at this point? How about a how about a technical when Jerry gets his fifth? It was such a bad call. I mean, at that point, I'm I'm already in defeatist mode as well. But get your money's worth, get fired up. Your best player is getting thrown out of the game on a bogus fifth foul. Probably hasn't gotten a a great whistle to start the game. You you can't you can't show me any emotion. He's got his hands out to his side, looking at the ref, going, "Really, really, that's the fifth foul." I that's not how I would have reacted. Thank goodness. We weren't watching the game on TV because we would have heard a gem coming out of the half. So he grabbed some audio out of it. Let's hear what they came out of the half. Let's check in with Lauren Shahadi. Well, Coach Willard completely calm in the locker room just now. He said, I get it. We've been here before. They're swarming us on defense. He said, we got a few shots to fall before the half by being patient. We got to build on it. He was calm coming out of the half. This is the end of your season, Mike. You're playing like garbage and you're you're calm. And he immediately goes to, well, we haven't played in this arena before. Yeah, no kidding. Neither is TCU, Michael. Stop it with these excuses. And TCU was swarming us? You knew TCU was going to swarm you. It's a Jamie Dixon coach team. All right, to relax. Talk. We got a long way to go in this podcast. Take a breath. Take a breath because if you thought that those comments got you irked coming out of the half. Wait till you hear our favorite segment. And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. Because I promise you, he's going to get you fired up with the doozy that he dropped in the postgame. And yes, we're, we haven't really even talked about it, folks. We've been kind of ignoring the fact of, you know, all the rumors of Willard to Maryland and what's coming down the pipe in the next potential 24 to 48 hours. But the reality is, Tom, we got hit with a bombshell in his post game. He got asked the right questions. He didn't handle it the right way. And to be honest, this could be our last deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. How do do you feel about that before we go in listening to the clip? Let's start there first. You know, there's a lot of uh, innuendo. There's a lot of rumors. I mean, even Rothstein has come out and said, you know, there's going to be a big announcement by Maryland announcing Willard as their new coach uh, early this coming week. 
You know, I, I I feel bad for John. He's got to go change the color patterns on his Willard t-shirt now. Oh, no. Make sure you get that t-shirt right, John. But before we get to the Maryland rumor question, Jerry Carino asked him about Shaheen's victory, or I should say St. Peter's victory against Kentucky. What can you say about uh, your your protege, your right-hand man, Shaheen Holloway? Yeah. What he accomplished yesterday? I, I tell you what, um... I think that's been the happiest I've been. Um, I've never watched a game so closely and so intently and, and cheered. So I, me and my son were in my room um, eating pizza. And I've never been so happy for a young man who's, uh, when I hired him at Iona, he was an assistant for St. Pat's. Um, and he has an unbelievable knowledge for the game. He has an unbelievable thirst for the game. And uh, he's a tremendous person. He's a tremendous um, teacher. Uh, and he is going to be a, a tremendous leader um, for many, many, many years to come. So, so here's my take on this. Uh, and, and you just listened to that quote, and, and I'm okay with it to an extent. Like you sit there, and that's good coach speak. He's talking about his coaching tree. Everyone talks about the Willard coaching tree. Who, who else is on this tree, by the way? He's got one branch. Does, does that count? Does, you have a tree at this point? Besides know. Shaw, who else is coaching it, in D1 at this point? It, it, uh, but, it's, it's one of those things like announcers go to. It's one of the go-to statements. So it's it's pretty dumb. But, but he's part of your coaching family. He's part of the history of who you brought into your program and you know who's kind of developed underneath you. I, I love the comment in general by itself. But the problem is we got to hear it in combination with this next clip that we're going to play and what it sounds to me in retrospect. And this is all about retrospect because it got played back to us in co- in a collective group of all of his quotes and all of his sound bites. It sounded like he was kind of going through Shah's resume to start building him up for the next job. It was almost kind of trying to justify what was about to come next. Zach Brazilla, New York Post. Kevin, there's been a lot of rumors in the last day or so of you potentially going to Maryland. Do you want to kind of comment on whether that's accurate or not? I, I'll give you exactly what I can tell you. I have an agent who I haven't talked to yet. I haven't talked to. I don't know who he's talking to. I have absolutely no idea. But when I get home tomorrow, I'll talk to my agent and discuss things with my agent. Do, do you think things will be resolved somewhat soon? I have no idea. I, I, I literally have not. I mean, I, I've had three different agents in the last month. So I've had my agent, my original agent, who I've had for 12 years, went to the TV broadcasting. I'll be honest with you, though. I mean, if I'm not here next year, I, I'd love to. If Shaheen Howie's here, then that'd be the happiest thing that ever happened to me. So uh, I'm going to defend Willard in one regard. He seemed to be having a hard time getting through the interviews. He seemed like he was getting emotional. He seemed like he was just getting all choked up at times. He was rubbing his eyes. So I'll he, he give was, him He was itching his much. arm? Like, what the heck with the, the nervous twitching of it, scratching his shoulder the entire time? The whole, the whole interview was awkward. But I, I'll say this. I don't care about any of it. I don't care how many agents you got. I don't care about any of that nonsense. 
You don't go out there and start saying, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Your team just lost a game in the NCAA tournament. Your focus should be on them. The answer should be something along the lines of, sorry, Zach, I'm focused on this. I'm focused on my guys. It's going to be a rough plane ride home. We'll talk about this next week. I agree. I got my. I got a couple takeaways here. One, I want to start with the question itself. Hats off to Zach Braziller. Jerry asks a softball question again about the the fuzzy feeling about Shaw, and Zach does the right the proper reporting and asks the difficult question, and then gives the follow up and doesn't let him off the hook. The question needed to be asked, and if Zach doesn't ask it, that was the end of the press conference. They were they were done. That was the last question that he answered on the podium for that night. So hats off to Zach. Good job there representing the post. And then to be honest, I think everybody came out and has already said exactly what you said. It's all about the players deflect, say that there's, this is not the time or place to have this conversation. We'll, we'll debrief about my future when I get back to campus and I assess things with my family and the administration and my staff, et cetera, et cetera. So Jolie Whaler on Twitter says the following, and I, and I thought it was the, the best summation of all the comments that I saw out on social media, on message boards, on Twitter, you name it. He says, regarding his future and Shaw to the hall, Willard saying what we already presume doesn't excuse it. It's disrespectful to St. Peter's University and awkward for Shaw with a game to play. You can be honest and tactful. The man who says little is suddenly so forthcoming. It's ill-timed and wrong, period. And I, I just don't think you could say it any better than that. I mean, we always talk about his awkwardness and not giving us more. And some people want to now commend him for his honesty in this truly you know, awkward and difficult moment. And this is the time that he should have been more reserved more close to the vest and more private in what she's demonstrated throughout his entire time here. This was not the moment to open up. You want to open up, hold the press conference or in your speech, when you accept the Maryland position, have a sentence or two or a paragraph or two saying your thanks to the Seton Hall community before you start go gushing about, you know, the new opportunity that Maryland is presenting. That was not the time or place. It just wasn't. No, not in the least bit, but you know, I guess it's time to kind of stop banging on Kevin because, and this might be the last time we really can. Let's move on. Let's talk some positivity. Okay, can we not- can, can we say that? Can we say this before we put a bow on it? I mean, this was not intended for ill will towards Kevin Willard. This segment, the whole purpose of this podcast is to have fun again. And Kevin's part of Kevin's flaws, if you want to call it that, has been his inability to deftly handle the media. So he gives you these gems from time to time when typically when they lose more often than not, when they lose, he thinks he's funny when they win. This was just more of a fun way to kind of build in the coaches quotes after the game. We, we did not have anything out as a vendetta against Kevin Willard with this segment, but I'll be honest if Shaheen's uh, the coach next time, I'm probably not calling it deep thoughts with Shaheen Holloway, but probably have to put a different spin on it. Well, you you know, you did say that the whole purpose of this podcast is to have some fun. And but you know what I really had fun with this weekend, Mike? 
watching the Peacocks of St. Peter's get themselves to the Sweet 16 for the first time in school history. That, my friend, was a woe to just see that moment. Man, you're ending the season strong. You're ending strong. That was a good transition. Woe did you hear that transition? You know how hard it is to take the stupid saying that we have, woe did you see that, and try to mix that in? What were we thinking? And you, you played that pretty seamlessly this time. Well, that was pretty thanks, good. thanks, Mike. That means a lot coming from uh, you. No, we, bumbled that, we bumbled that one a lot. That, that's a tough one. Uh, only the third time that a 15 seed has ever advanced to the Sweet 16. You know, the uh, they have the... It wasn't just like they just got there, right? It was how they did it. It was the overtime game against Kentucky. You know, when you say blue blood, what's the first team that comes to mind when you say blue blood? Kentucky is definitely in like the top three. They had not lost to a double-seeded NCAA tournament opponent in 30 consecutive matchups. And they're down by six with two minutes to go. And they rally back. But that game was close throughout. This wasn't just a like a magical 10-0 run or all of a sudden they got back into it out of nowhere. There was no lead larger than six points throughout the entire game for either team. They went punch for punch with Kentucky that entire game. And normally when you get to overtime in those types of scenarios, the smaller team just fades and they kept on punching. That was awesome. And then they just came out and just stuck it to Murray State. I was teasing you saying Murray State's a really good team. Don't sleep on them. This is no easy game for them to just back up the performance. And you're like, the heck with that. St. Peter's going to do it again. And they did. And they did. And they didn't even let Murray State lead for a minute of the game. There was a couple ties early on, but they went coast to coast, Tommy. Coast to coast in that 70 to 60 victory. You love writing these narratives, Mike. I never once said forget about Murray State. I simply said, after you knock off the two in Kentucky, you've got an easier route into that Sweet 16 and beating either Murray State or University of San Francisco at the moment of our conversation was a possibility, my friend. And hey, they did it. And it's exciting. Good for them. Good for I'm just saying. Good for St. Pete's. Murray State was a mid-major team that had something to prove. They had never made it to the Sweet 16 as a program themselves. Here's a team that was top 25 in the country, not getting enough credit for their 30-2 and record overall. They had something to prove. This was not a blue blood taking St. Peter's for granted. They had their own message they were trying to send the country, and St. Peter's wanted no part of that. They didn't even give them a chance to really get into that game. Every time that Murray State got that to within a possession or two, St. Peter's answered with a big bucket every moment. Man, there were there were stones on those guys. that They played with some big balls, and they came up with big play after big play, and Shaw was on the sideline stoic in every one of those moments. He wasn't losing control. He wasn't jumping out of his seat. They were poised. It was impressive, man. It, was, it really was a woe did you see that moment but the collective basketball that they played over their two victories to vault them to the Sweet 16. And I, I it's must-watch TV, whoever they play uh, at the end of next week. Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll tell you what, not only did St. Pete's win, but Shaheen Holloway acquitted himself really well in his interview opportunities after the fact, whether it's the press conferences, whether it's calling into the fan, he was on Rich Eisen this week. I'm telling you, 
they, he gets our mic drop moment, Mike, and he had a lot of great comments this week. Oh, oh, without without a doubt, without a doubt. But before we go to Shaheen's mic drops, sorry, Tommy, I'm throwing you a curveball before we go into Shah's mic drops. I, I forgot to add to the notes. My good buddy. Look, we didn't we didn't watch the game. We're, we're there live and other people are watching the game. I, and I was not going back to watch that debacle again. But I got a buddy who was constantly texting me saying Avery Johnson and Steve Smith were analysts. And twice they pointed out the mismatches that we had in the offensive paint. And they were surprised that we didn't go there. And I think that's kind of a little bit of a mic drop. That's not bad. It was good analysis, right? But then my buddy goes, they haven't watched us play. They don't know that we're incapable of going into the paint like that. So, so is that a, is that a mic flop because they didn't do their homework on Seton Hall? I think or a be- bigger I think a bigger mic flop this weekend was Kenny to Jet Smith continuously calling him Shaheem Holloway. I also oh. heard that he called us Saint uh, Saint Peter's Seton Hall a couple times during the Murray State game. He blended it together. Uh, I didn't catch that, but people were pointing that out. Well, this is the what other- ha- this is what happens when you get NBA guys that are popular because everybody loves the inside the NBA on TNT. It's a really good analysis show. The guys really do a good job, but they don't know NCAA basketball. You just know they're funny. They're funny. They're likable. They have their, they play off each other. Well, Charles Barkley is getting a laugh at our expense, killing them for the ISO and dribbling forever on the halftime show. I mean, for other people, they might think that's funny. They might think that's good analysis. And for me, that's just driving the stake in even deeper after we talk about it week in and week out. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the moments now. Shaw crushed it. He had mic drop after mic drop. So go ahead. I pass the baton back over. Yeah, go, go ahead and then parade Shaw's multitude of, of winning statements throughout the week. Go well, ahead. A get, lot of me. reporters were shocked, obviously, about St. Pete's beat in Kentucky. But Shaheen came out with an opening salvo at the presser that just put everybody on notice. First of all, I want to give Coach Cal in Kentucky a lot of credit. Those guys came out and, you know, they, they fought, they fought. You know, our guys stepped up to the level of competition. Um, so hats off to them. Just proud of my guys for battling like we do all year. Um, this is something that these guys understand, you know, no disrespect to anybody, but we wasn't coming down here just to lose. We come down here to fight, and we, we did. So hats off to these guys. We weren't I know. coming here I know. just to lose, Mike. We came here to fight, and, and we're gonna. We're, this is gonna happen now. There's gonna be this constant contrast of what Shaw gave you this week to what you got from Kevin Willard, and you got Kevin going. We haven't played in this arena, and Shaw's like, "Let's go out back and fight, baby. Let, let's we're gonna, we're throw we're throwing down, right? I, it's just it's a complete different attitude, and he just kept on expounding upon saying the right thing in the right moment. Hit me with what he said on WFAN. Now, I don't know if people know this. So the, the Peacock's budget is one point five million. One point five million. I don't think I don't, I don't think it's that much. I, I, didn't, I didn't think so either. I think we rounded that up for you out of respect. I got you. a little less than one five. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. At Cal is making nine million. And I, I almost don't even want to ask this because this is about St. Peter's and this is about the young men and this is about you as a coach and your trajectory. So I won't be specific, but how do you compartmentalize the calls that I know your agent's getting right now? How do you, <laughs> honestly, Shaheen, how do you oh, deal I, with oh, that? You had to go there. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm curious, yeah, man. I knew you was going <laughs> right to it. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I'm just, I'm just focusing on it right now, you know, in the moment and with these guys. And 
I want these guys to have this great experience because it's all about them. I'm not worried about all that stuff. No, yeah. That stuff will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, that stuff will take care of itself. Right now, I'm just trying to tell my guys, listen, we, we got a chance to make some more history. Let's go do it. Let's go. Let's Love take it. out Murray State. Who cares about Murray State? <laughs> but before I comment on Shaw, how, how do you think Brandon uh, Tierney teed up that question? I, I think it was appropriate. I, You know, he, he kind of, he had to ask the question, right? I mean, don't, but he did it in a in a really appropriate way, which I was shocked at because I'm not a big Tyranny fan. Yeah, I, I don't like Tiki. I don't like the other guy. But he, I think he asked it in potentially the only way you could. Now, that's the type of humor I like. Shaw laughing. Shaw going, you had to go there. And I think he did that a couple other times in his press conference uh, at the podium after some of these other games. That was kind of downplaying a humorous side of a question. But then he got right back to the business of that's not the answer that I'm going to give now. It's the here and the present with my team. And that's what we need to focus on. And he kept it short and sweet. He kept it short and sweet. Kevin could have did that. Kevin could have did that. And then Zach asked the follow-up question. And then Kevin could have just said, no, Zach, I'm not going to address it now. And I got, I got three agents. Uh, let's talk about Shane Holloway being the next greatest coach. I'm, I'm just, wondering what happened to the middle agent. If the, if you had <laughs> if one guy left a month ago and you got the current guy now that you haven't talked to, which, how good of an agent is he? What happened to the guy in the middle? No, no, I, I I was thinking about this this morning. Obviously, the first guy gets out of the business and goes back into TV broadcast. So that tells me that your only real client was Kevin Willard at that point. <laughs> <laughs> then the second guy comes in and Kevin's like, I got to get out of Dodge here. You know, let's start making something happen. And maybe the guy wasn't making it happen. Maybe he was putting out these feelers and trying to get, you know, get the, the ball rolling. And it wasn't, it wasn't going down. And maybe Turgeon was, as, as Turgeon resigned, this second agent just wasn't making the inroads. And he's like, you're out. Get me somebody else. That makes sense, right? I, I don't know. I don't know. Too much speculation, too much TMZ for my blood, Michael. But, but Shaw continued. I know we don't have the audio clips for all this. We just, we'd be here forever, but I'm going to just read you some of the other great lines that he's already had throughout the weekend he goes you think we were worried about guys trying to muscle us we do that oh that was awesome the announcer asked if he was nervous he says for what it's just basketball then in the post game he goes i'm a new york guy jersey adopted me but i'm a new york city guy just just start lining up the recruits man just start lining up those new york city recruits and in the first interview during the game they were up by I think it was the Murray State game, but the first interview that they cut away to during that game, the sideline reporter asked him what he thinks about how they're playing so far up by one. And he responds that they were playing like crap and it was unacceptable. And the reporter reminded him that they were up by one. And he goes, I don't care. It's still unacceptable. Tom, this is, this is, this is gold, man. And another point, he goes, this is easy. And I'm paraphrasing here because he was talking about the, uh, the relativity of the game and the matchups. And he goes, you know what's hard? Practice is tough. The game, this is easy. Shaw really won the weekend outside of just winning the games. He really won doing all these interviews. But I'm going to tell you, Mike, if this comes to fruition, I'm going to have to hold you accountable because you certainly have have advertised how much of a fan you were of Shaw as a player you're gonna. I'm gonna have to hold your feet to the fire and make sure you keep Shaw accountable for any dumb things he might say in the future. So no, I'm no, just no, this, worried about you, I man. Don't say-
I don't fanboy on the show. You. No, Tom, I, I don't fanboy on this podcast. I'm not the one, you know, taking pictures with everybody at the uh, the pregame ceremony and then putting it up on social media. I don't fanboy. I, I shake the hand of the commoner. But if but if, if you drop the ball, shake you're going to get the hand of the commoner. Wow. <laughs> that did not sound right. Wow, that didn't wow. sound right. That did not sound right. Oh, geez. Wow. This is going to be equal podcast bashing for any future coach. Look, Shaw comes in. There's going to be some great expectations. And I, I promise you this, when all the news breaks and, and it becomes official, because right now the rumor is this is a done deal. The rumor is that this could have been a done deal for weeks. Heck, it could have been a done deal for months now, for all we know. You know, there are rumors that the, even the players knew before they took the court against that game against TCU. And I have a whole nother issue about that in terms of preparation and did Kevin do the right thing? If, if that is true, there's so much here, you know, Rothstein is tweeting that Maryland's going to have a press conference. Here's what we're going to do. We will address that after it takes place. If it takes place when all the chips have fallen next week, Hey, maybe St. Peter's and the run comes to an end. I hope it doesn't, but maybe it comes to a run. Maybe it comes to an end. Thursday or Friday of next week, and Seton Hall is hosting their own press conference announcing that Shaw is the next coach. When that happens, we'll address it. I'm okay with that. But if Shaw is the next coach and we do our podcast for years to come or however we long decide to do this, it's still going to be blue tinted glasses. It's still going to be sour grapes and gripes. And if you stick your foot in your mouth, we're going to call you out for it because we have a standard that we would like to reach here at Seton Hall. I think the biggest thing that I took away from the end of this week is how the social media fan base has flipped really quickly. You've had people on both sides of the fence, but the minute that shot kind of stepped up to the plate and Kevin kind of imploded here at the end, all of a sudden, okay, maybe it's time to move on. Okay. I see the glory that Seton Hall could go back to. Shaw's going to have expectations. Anybody who comes in here next is going to have expectations and we're going to evaluate what you're doing positively or negatively to get us to those goals. Is that not fair? Whether it, we love them or not. It's absolutely fair. And you know, I, you, I, it's a great point you bring up about how the Titus turned over just the last 72 hours. It was hysterical, you know, group text, you know, online forums, half the fans are talking about, I want someone with experience. This is not the same job it was 12 years ago when Kevin Willard took over to what they called the dumpster fire that Bobby Gonzalez left. This is now a full-fledged, successful Big East program. We need some uh, experienced coach coming in. And with just two little wins in an NCAA tournament, all of a sudden, that's gone away, and everybody's banging that shot drum. It's 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 absolutely hysterical. But Mike, you know, I've been looking at some of these coaching changes that have been going around the uh, the country so far, and one thing kind of has dawned on me. I look at coaching hires almost like NFL quarterbacks getting drafted. It is an absolute crapshoot. I mean, look at the guys that got fired just this week. Frank Martin, Ben Howland. These are guys that have had success at big schools and they came into another situation where they couldn't duplicate that success. And now you've got the guy, Golden, that coached USF into the tournament for the first time 
and he gets an opportunity to go down to Florida, who's a two-time national champion, and he gets that gig. It's a crapshoot, Mike, no matter if you've got the experience or not. Save it, Tommy. Save it for the next episode. Because I don't think we're going to have an opportunity to talk about I, potential I'm just a, coaches I, I'm at not, this point. I, what I was going to say was, I, I think he's our next coach. I mean, the writing is on the wall. Now everyone's coming out of the woodwork. Oh, we know. Uh, okay, you, you all knew, but now you, you had to break it after the fact. Okay, whatever, I don't want to hear it. Now, nobody's in the know. This is a very tightly guarded uh, program. They keep their information pretty close to the vest. My point is, there are some people that are still going to be behind the scenes or maybe even out publicly. They're going to have like a 90% approval rating when the announcement takes place if Shaw is the next coach in support of him leading this program. But you're still going to have that 10% is my guess. That plays your side of the argument of, should we have gotten that more experienced coach? Should we have gone after a big name like Patino? Did we even kind of, you know, shake the trees to see if he was interested? There are going to be those people that have those what ifs or those questions. So you can still talk about it next episode. You can still give me the hypotheticals of, should this have been a bigger name? Has Willard elevated the program to that stature? I'm in the shot camp. I've been a big shot fan for a long time. I always thought that if Willard move on, it'd be a good transitionary uh, phase. I think Shaw looks at it as a destination job. Tommy, save it. Got a whole episode for this, man. Whole episode. Who would have thought, Mike? Who would have thought we get bounced from the tournament in such awful fashion? And yet, we've got potential good news on the horizon. Here's here's why I don't think we're so annoyed or pissed off. I mean, I'm disappointed. Who the heck would not have wanted to be there this evening again in that arena? Notre Dame, Texas Tech, Seton Hall, Arizona. I'm dude. What what an environment that would have been. What a set of games. Nightcap to end the 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 first weekend in the NCAA tournament. That would have been the last game on the national stage. Maybe Seton Hall pulls off an upset and goes to the Sweet Sixteen. But I think the expectation was that that wasn't going to happen, that maybe you win the first game and, you know, you, you call it a success and you play with house money going against Arizona. I don't think there was an expectation of really challenging Arizona in this next game. We dream, we hope, we pray, we bleed blue. But the reality was you didn't think they were going to beat Arizona. So at the end of the day, you go, this was embarrassing. It's not the result we wanted but you're not sitting there saying that we threw away the rest of the season, this golden opportunity that that's not the case. So now you're sitting there taking the positive out of the situation and you never thought the positive was bringing the golden child back home again. So yeah, the the emotion can swing pretty quickly. If this was a two seed that lost to the 15 conversely, IE Kentucky. And then for some reason, Willard was walking out the door. Would you feel, would you feel good about the situation then? No, so, all right, so I'll, I'll, let, let's do this. Let, let's bring this all full circle. I want to do one more social media uh, rehash, and I'm going to go to Adam Silverstein on Twitter again. And I know this has been thrown out a few times, but I, I read it from Adam, so I'm giving Adam the credit. St. Peter's is the first team from New Jersey in the Sweet 16 since 2000, when I was in school. I'm going to date myself here. Back when I was in school. That team, Seton Hall. Starting point guard on that team, St. Peter's head coach, Shaheen Holloway. The next Seton Hall coach, question mark, Shaheen Holloway. Now that's full circle. You know, I thought we were going to have a little bit of time off, a little break. 
you know, do our season recap after the NCAA tournament was over. But no, we're going to be sitting at the edges of our seats waiting for all these announcements to roll on. And as always, Mike, we're going to be screaming, go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other of your favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates. We are also proud members of the What You Expect Network of Podcasts. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. We'll be right back.